Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friends Show Friday edition. I'm joined today by Mr. Mlondi Mluli. Mlondi, how are you doing, man? Hi, Nick. Um, well, well, all good and ready to roll. Excellent, excellent. Good to have you back. And we also have today Mr. Michael Morris, who is fresh off the hot presses of opinion. He's just finished a column. Um, so, Michael, good to have you with us. Yeah, uh, great to see you both. Um, Londi, I think the last time we saw you, uh, why I saw you was on the, I think what could be um, perhaps inaccurately referred to as the the fringe of the, the mining in Derby. It was actually in the, a very salubrious yeah. uh, uh, venue in, in Camps Bay <laughs> with a beautiful sunset yeah. and, and nice canapes and, and drinks and so on. But uh, yeah, obviously very important. I know you were very busy there. But uh, but but yeah, good good to see you both. Right. So I'm currently sitting in an unplanned power outage, which is why my screen is a little bit dark and also that you may hear buzzing from my inverter. So I do apologize for that. But let's get into the first news story of today. And this is one of those kind of really wacky, weird stories that I think really do say a lot about government policy. So uh, a Karting High Court uh, judge um wrote a letter recently which kicked up a bit of a stir when he uh, attacked the state attorney for using a council of all white lawyers in a BEE case. A, uh, I think it was a construction company was suing the government claiming that the BEE score scorecard that had something wrong with it and improper with it and they wanted to get it changed. And while that court case was being fought, the state decided in order to defend BEE, they were going to hire a team of lawyers, all of whom ended up being white. The judge in particular was very upset about this. He wrote to the state attorney saying that he thought that this was a potential violation of the Constitution and he had concern of the absence of, quote, African counsel. The state attorney defended his position, however, saying um, that they these people were chosen because of their experience as lawyers, irrespective of the color of their skin, and that the judge's demand for an explanation was impermissible. Um, we submit that with respect to the broad-based Black Economic Empowerment Commission mm. and Commissioner, we stand by the issues they have formulated and that it is impermissible for the court to raise new issues to compel us to deal with matters other than those which the parties have formulated in their affidavits. He said the racial profile of the lawyers in this dispute has got nothing whatsoever to do with the merits of the case. And so there is quite a lot of irony here. In order to defend racial preference and <laughs> racial selection, the state has decided in this case to forego racial selection and instead appoint people based on who they believed was the best candidates for the job. Um, Michael, this is kind of quite amusing. What do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a, you know, a, a kind of beautiful irony, isn't it? Um, on, on, on various levels, but certainly the fact that it's specifically the Empowerment Commission that is being represented by what the state advocate, state attorney regards as, you know, people chosen on the basis of merit. Um, so it's, you know, a, a profound contradiction and a very useful one. I think it's a useful one for the public to see um, and all strength to the arm of the state attorney for stepping up and, and you know, defending it. But hopefully uh, the politicians at least will will see the you know the the, the the kind of damning irony that 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 is at play here um on the broader issue i mean i think there's one thing worse than talking about race and that's not talking about race i think it it, it must be something that we keep talking about because there are lots of issues to to um to explore and to and to own up to and to 
just deal with. Um, I often think of our, our former colleague, Gwen Ingwenya, who has written about all kinds of things. But one of the things she's written about was, was this issue of merit. And that, um, you know, merit is something that you create. It's, it's not something that, that is it, it's God-given. There, there are lots of people in the society who, are, who have got merit because their parents have spent and have had the money to spend on, uh, spend lots of money on private private classes in during matric year for instance to get that extra those extra few percent in matric if you don't have the, those resources you can't spend that money on 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 getting your kid uh, into a sort of better position to uh, exploit whatever advantages or opportunities are available not advantages opportunities available to everybody but the person who's got the higher marks is obviously going to be able to exploit those to a, to a more effective degree. So there are these things we need to talk about, um, and so it's an excellent thing I think that that this is it, it has been exposed. It's out there. We've got to think about it. We've got to talk about it. Um, it's a it's a it's a crazy kind of thing that uh, you know the Empowerment Commission has this all white team, but it ought not to mean uh, by any means that. What this indicates is that there aren't enough effective black lawyers, for instance, and that's in the way one of the arguments that we often make as the RR is that the, the more you you emphasise the kind of racial empowerment or racially based empowerment, what you're effectively doing is is perpetuating this idea that that, that black people can't do this on their own, that they, that they do need you know special. Uh, crutches and, and and assistance along the way, we say absolutely not. They're uh, just as clever and, and forward-looking and as ambitious as anyone else. Um, and what we've got to do is give everybody the the capacity to exploit opportunities and really get ahead. Um, so I think that's that's a very a, a very useful thing. And then uh, you know ultimately the 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 really the final thing. And I can't remember if it was um, if it was at the table, one of the other advocates in the case, or, or the attorney who pointed out that you, you know what we, what is essentially got to be conveyed to the ordinary citizen out there is that the legal system is one in which the best possible arguments are made on the behalf of one or other argument in law. Um, that is really all that that in matter. It's not what the people look like. It's not who's arguing for you. It's simply the quality of the argument uh, in, in law. And I think that is, I mean, that's a profoundly transformative thing uh, in a society where we know the law was subverted uh, to political purposes for so long. In and that, and we that's a principle... <clears throat> that that applies to so many areas of, of exactly. uh, things, not just yeah. in the legal system, but in the quality of government <laughs> services, as uh, you know, has recently yeah. been argued in our paper on on economic growth. That uh, yeah, you know, we pay this extra yeah. premium essentially for having racial pr preferential procurements in, mm. in in the system, and and that hurts poor people because they are denied mm -hmm. a more effective government. Exactly. Um, and you know, uh, you bring up the point of this kind of the sort of condescending of uh, approach that if you don't, you know, on purpose force black appointees into positions that they will never be able to get there by themselves. Londi, you know, what's often struck me about BEE's effects is that it is so, I think, psychologically toxic for everyone involved. You know, many white people then will uh, resent their black co-workers or colleagues because they think that they're being fairly privileged. Uh, black colleagues and co-workers, regardless of how they feel about BE, may feel that they have been appointed to a position because of the color of their skin and it creates a sort of insecurity. Um, you also get this bizarre examples of just like we have in this case here where someone, you know, 
someone will kind of say, oh, everyone else must do BE, but not for me, right? So uh, I will hire the people I think are the best lawyers in whatever particular case will get the best doctor or whatever, but everyone else must have doctors who look like the country or something like that. And I think it kind of reveals how unnatural and toxic this you know, racial bean counting stuff is, that it's just so alien to common sense and just, you know, good relations. I don't know. What do you, what do you make of all this model? Yes, Nick. Well, that's a good point you just raised. And also just to uh, go a step further by arguing, you know, that BE has not helped reduce the country's high rates of inequality, poverty. You no, know, these issues still persist. And uh, like it's important to look back and think, what has BE done? What has it, you know, what has it actually, uh, you know, achieved and and you know like the results are there like, you know it hasn't done anything but only enrich a certain few politically connected caters and it's just a bad system that i think wasn't thought through like it's you no know, like its intention might have been good but the outcomes have been terribly uh, poor and uh and and you know, this is my opinion i feel like the policy should have been uh done with long ago no it, it, should, have been, you know, it should have been uh, uh scrapped a, a long ago but Surely, the, but but like surely the government uh, does not see anything wrong with it, which is very concerning. So, yes, that's my view that the, that the policy has not done anything good for for its intended uh, beneficiaries. Right. I mean, you know, there could be a defensive BE that society could give if, as you say, you know, it, if if it had actually worked. <laughs> the proof is kind of in the yeah. pudding that even if it's stated goals of uplifting the lives of poor black people, it really hasn't done that much of that. Michael, any final thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think one final thing is 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 this, and it relates in a way to what what has just been saying, is that what this also gives cover to is that is that argument that is on the fringes of society uh, by people who kind of get away with um, making these kinds of arguments that um, that race actually is an issue, that white people are superior. And that this only shows, you know, that there's some kind of uh, inferiority complex at work. And, of course, that is complete rubbish. Uh, and so long as we, we, we allow the cover for that, that kind of evil sentiment out there, it's that much harder to, to defeat it. I mean, it's easily defeated, but you've got to see where it is and defeat it. And I think, um, you know, exploiting race in this way is 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 always uh, is always a, a you know terrible thing. It, it, it has yeah evil consequences. Definitely. Okay, um, let us move on to Gauteng now, where there has been trouble a brewing for a while in the municipality of Ekuraleni, the East Rand in Gauteng. Um, it's long been reported that the ANC and EFF in the province were basically the main partners in that coalition, although they have appointed a member of the AIC uh, as the mayor of Ekuraleni. Um, he's essentially just a, you know, a compromised candidate between the ANC and EFF. Uh, they have been somewhat unhappy with that relationship, particularly the ANC, who have been complaining at length about it. Um, and there's been internal squabbling about it in the ANC as well. Things seem to have come to a head yesterday when you got a little bit of a heads up that uh, the council meeting where Action SA had proposed a motion of no confidence in the AIC mayor um, was endorsed by the ANC Youth League in Ekroleni, who said that the alliance with the EFF was damaging service delivery and the ANC needed to get rid of the, the, the mayor. Uh, when it came time to actually vote in the council, just before the debate was had, 
some sort of physical fight started between the ANC and EFF councillors in the chamber. And the whole sitting, I believe, had to be called off. It was complete chaos. Um, the DA uh, complained, saying that they can't carry on like this and that the entire council should be dissolved. But curiously, during the meeting, um, the mayor's cell phone went missing. And uh, it looks like, according to the video footage, that a councillor dressed in the EFF's over red overalls um, slipped the cell phone during the fight into his pocket. And the device is still missing. The police are now following up on on what they say is a theft of the cell phone, and they are going to try and locate it. Um, uh, the mayor's security team spent that entire night looking through the chamber for the cell phone. However, various media outlets reviewing the footage have said that they have seen someone dressed in their EFF councillor's clothing slipping the cell phone into its pocket. The mayor says he only noticed the device had gone missing after the EFF were removed from the sitting. So... Uh, Blondie, not a happy scenario here. And I wonder whether this is the beginning of the end of the ANC and EFF's marriage. Um, but, you know, I, we've been saying that for months and yet the marriage still continues. What do you think? Yes. Well, Nick, uh, you know, the ANC and EFF marriages is, is one made, you know, it's a match made in hell. You know, like we, it's, uh, you know, it's really unfair to, <laughs> you know, to the people of South Africa and, you know, what we've seen here is a perfect example, you know. Well, but I think it's good, you know, uh, that you know that this is happening now, so that we as opposers can see what an ANC EFF coalition will bring should it happen in 2024. That's why we need to make better voting decisions. So I'd say what happened. You know, so I'd say uh, what's actually going, you know, uh, what's happening now in Equilani is pretty good. You know, I'm loving it. I won't say I'm not loving it. I actually, I'm enjoying it. You know, they must do that to each other, and so that we can see that, you know. That the ANC and EFF aren't parts that should be voted for, and yeah, it's just complete destruction, and they must kill each other, which is good in my opinion. Michael, what do you make of this? I mean, it's also mm. you know kind of the irony here is that it seems as like it was possibly an EFF council who stole that cell phone when he was uh, probably in that first fight in order to defend the mayor from <laughs> from being voted out of the motion of no confidence, which would have happened if the <laughs> ANC had supported the motion. Um, what do you make of this? It just, it seems like, you know, this is an alliance that's going to be difficult to keep going. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I just do, do love the um, the News 24 headline, Violent Clashes, Stolen Phone, How the EFF ANC Marriage of Convenience Crashed in Equilini. Um, yeah, <laughs> it is all just, uh, I mean, it ter it's terrible. I shouldn't really be laughing. It's not really a laughing matter. Um the country is, you know, in if, great. If we don't laugh, we cry. Yeah, well, the, the, this is it. I mean, it's probably better to laugh. And and I and I I I, I kind of agree with with Londi that you know it's good actually that that the stuff is seen. Um, I think something we often kind of take for granted is is the health of our of our um, our kind of media behavior, our, our, our custom, our custom being accustomed to just you know reporting things as we see them and 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 as a society we know these things as they happen this is a very healthy thing um and it's not actually um it's not uh, typical for countries that are authoritarian and and so on um i often think back to the late 1980s when every little unrest event had to be approved first by the bureau of information in pretoria 
Um, and and yeah, I mean, you know, we we don't have that kind of thing. We we have a, a free media, and what it means is that we confront face to face. We come face to face every day uh, with 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 things like this. Um, so it, it does, yeah. I mean, it does seem uh, very clear that uh, there's there's a difficulty um, between the, the EFF and the ANC. I saw somebody on on Twitter a little earlier this morning saying, um, you know, this this kind of disruptive behaviour is. Is actually the only objective of the of the EFF. It, 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 that is all it wants. It wants there to be chaos and inability for uh, organisations to have quorums and to conduct themselves according to any rules, because then they can get away with whatever they want to get away with, and that is a very great risk. So as long as as Melondi says, we we keep a you know a, 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 a sort of unembarrassed eye on on what's going on. Um, then, then I think you know it's it's probably just as well that we can see it. The problem is that some people find this quite appealing. Maybe you know, I mean that is always the risk that people find that they might think this is this is cool and revolutionary and this is what's needed, but of course it isn't. So yeah, that is the risk. Yeah. So I mean, this is I think one of the big questions about our future politics after twenty twenty four, because according to the polling, it's very possible that an EFF ANC coalition will be very popular, very possible, and very desirable to some degree. Um, although I believe I'm correct in saying that when they actually ask ANC voters, a slight majority actually prefer the DA as a coalition partner to the EFF, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, um. This question of whether this coalition can work is a big one. And, you know, I've I've written on this back in 2020. I wrote a thing saying that, uh, you know, this it was in, important to watch this ANC-EFF coalition, particularly mm -hmm. in Ekrileni, because already back then there were signs of this thing cracking up. Um, I remember. It's that. actually surprised me that uh, it hasn't cracked up yet, although maybe finally now it will. Um, and even though the ANC and EFF have a lot of ideological overlap, you know, they really have the same fundamental idea of how the world works and how mm. to fix the problems in South Africa. At the end of the day, they're both patronage parties. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the patronage parties compete for resources. And yeah. I think any coalition between the ANC and MK or the ANC and the EFF or the ANC and the IFP, whoever you want to put in there, uh, is going to be very messy because you're going to have to divide the pie up in a way that no one is used to and no one is happy with. And that will be, uh, I think, a real test of the stability of these parties. And it's going to remain to be seen whether the ANC can hold together in that environment. Um, mm -hmm. Nodi, do you have any final thoughts on this issue? No, none that I can add. But all I can say is that I wish the ANC and EFF luck, and I hope that the coalition can fall as fast or as soon as possible. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the ratepayers of Ikrileni are not particularly pleased by this uh, disastrous uh, situation unfolding. Um, and I wonder if it's going to spill over into Johannesburg. That, uh, that is going to be an interesting thing to watch. Okay, let us move on to our next story. And this is about ESCOM. And I think some vindication for some of our uh, views on things about how uh, things like... Um, you know, money is not always necessarily the source of all of the government's woes. So ESCOM has been found to have overly complex management and too much red tape. This is a report. Uh, this is from a report by a German firm, which was hired by the Treasury Department to look into the problems with ESCOM and load shedding. Uh, a 600 page report 
which is being reported on by Business Day, um, says that ESCOM is uh, has this has really inefficient, dysfunctional, overly complex management system, and that's the primary reason for its poor performance of its coal power power stations. Not that they don't have enough money. Um, the report says that by cutting red tape that power station managers have to deal with to improve their ability to manage maintenance challenges promptly and efficiently. They went to say in the report that in order to prevent the collapse of some of its plants, ESCOM must be allowed to do proper maintenance work, even if this means a higher level of load shedding for a limited period of time. The report highlights the main focus of the ESCOM coal fleet has been to quickly fix the actual bottlenecks and generation capacities rather than prioritizing the restoration of plants to their original condition following an outage. The plants have been forced to continue operating at the expense of their technical condition. The consequences are reflected in the high number of incidents, trips, and partial load losses. This cycle has now gained so much momentum that it could lead to the collapse of plants or further capacity losses. The report says that uh, there are uh, some very big um, uh, weak points um, that, for example, the raw water treatment plant shared by Madupi and Mat Mataba power stations uh, needs to be maintained urgently, and that should that fail, 12 generation units with a combined capacity of 9,800 megawatts, which is what, 10 stages of load shedding by themselves, mm -hmm. will be lost to the grid. Uh, and a similar problem is also cropping up at the Kendall power station, which is about 4,000 megawatts of power. So, um, Mlondi, I think the question here is, you know, it's difficult to not see the hand of uh, political pressure here, right? Because, um, you know, it's very tempting, particularly as we get closer to an election, for the government to just say to ESCOM uh, and and through the through their uh, you know cadres in the system, just keep the system running just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer till after the election. You can deal with the problems after the election. And I think we saw some of this back in 2016, 2017, around the local government elections there, when uh, maintenance was very low at ESCOM power plants. Uh, am I being crazy and conspiratorial? What do you think? No, definitely not being crazy and uh, conspiratorial. I mean, that's a huge possibility, you know, like, as we all know, like, you know, with this whole cater deployment, there's without a doubt that there are some caters in ESCOM that have been uh, deployed by the ANC, similar to the Translate and other SOEs. So what you are alluding to is not, uh, you know, it's not a lie. There's a high possibility, I'd say 100% possibility that, you know, that the ANC will say to its caters, look, please do whatever you can to put the lights on because we can't afford to lose this election. So that cannot be discounted. I do agree with you. Michael, what do you make of this this whole issue? And I think once again, it's revealed that, um, you know, too much red tape, too much regulation is just kind of bad for the whole system. Mm. I mean, the, the actual words in the report, um, they use the word dysfunctional. They refer to too many organizational layers and opaque decision-making processes that generate a tremendous amount of red tape with lengthy procedures and lack of accountability. I mean, these are all things that we absolutely don't want, you know, in conditions of crisis where you want to deliver electricity quickly and, and efficiently and cheaply and so on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it looks like um, this is a report which has, you know, put its finger on exactly what the problem is. Um, the question now is, and I don't know if we've had similar reports like this before in the past 20 years, but the question is, now, what happens What happens with this information? Are we going to act on it? Um, that really is the key thing. Um, 
It, it always worries me a little bit when this report is put out by Treasury because Treasury has a habit of being ignored by the rest of government. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we, we, yeah, you're absolutely right. We're always encouraged by, um, we're often encouraged by things that Treasury says. And I think they've got some very smart officials. I'm often actually, occur, it often occurs to me when you, you know, chatting on the Daily French and we don't really have a chance to come back to things. But I often think of, you know, we, we spend a lot of time uh, being enormously critical of the state and so on. Um, and I, I often want to th just I I introduce that, that little caveat to say there are, you know, plenty of amazing officials doing wonderful work. Um, which I think is very true, and I'm, I'm sure that in Treasury that you've got some very smart people um, looking at things in a very sort of cool, measured way, and, uh, and and very sound kind of approach to to what their job is, which is to serve the country. But as you say, um, if if the if the political principles are, are not going to pay any attention to it and not going to acknowledge exactly the thing that we're saying that there are these good people and and let's you know let's listen to them let's at least give them credit for what what for their intelligence their contribution to the problem um, or to the solution um, then you know it, it, it's not going to help um, and that's that is really the tragedy isn't it right it's the the sort of overwhelming inertia. In so much of government's processes that it's mm. just uh, you know why do we do things like this well because we've always done things like this yeah <laughs> and it, it never really seems to change mm. much from that um and yeah. I, i've never encountered government officials who have not been at least prey a little bit to that kind of thing um yeah although good on treasury for for getting this report out there because it is well uh, i presume they leaked it to business takers i don't think it's public yet uh, mm. But uh, it's it's important that this stuff is is recognised because yeah, too often yeah. do 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 various organs of the state or, or unions or whoever say no no the problem is we just don't have enough money it's too mm. expensive um, that's often an ex an a excuse used to explain our bad education results uh, but the reality is almost always yes more money could probably solve some problems but bad management is a much much worse problem. Lundy, yeah. any final thoughts on this? Yes, Nick, I definitely do agree with you that bad management is the problem. I know, and just not, you know, and just not in, uh, you know, in in uh, in uh, SOEs, but also like in different, you know, departments. For example, as you mentioned, with regards to education, you know, and and also in health as well, there are huge problems, and that's why we often argue against the NHI, you know, because the government is failing to fix its uh, current health system. Why would they, you know, how would the NHI be different? So it's those things. So I, I do agree with you, Nick. I do agree with you. Right. You know, just scraping more money into the public health system is not going to do anything except see more money wasted. Okay. Um, we're close to the end now, but I would just like to uh, talk about a campaign that uh, we've had running for a while now. Um, the Pledge to Vote campaign, and we have been encouraging South Africans to get out and vote uh, when it comes time to elections. You can go to pledgetovote.co.za, which will send you reminders about voting and also a little bit of info about why voting is important, how many people vote, that kind of thing. Registrations to vote are now closed, so if you're not registered to vote, you will not be able to vote. Um, but Pledge to Vote will help remind you that the election is coming up so that you can make sure that you will be out there to vote and make your voice heard in the next government election pledge to vote.co.za please do go there and check it out it's a great little website um and uh you know considering all the stories we talk about every single day on this show i think it's really important that 
South Africans do make their voice heard uh, because we have we have some problems, to put it mildly. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. I think that is probably all the time we have for today. We hope that you found this show interesting, and we will, of course, be back on Monday. Cheers, everyone, and have a wonderful day. Thank you.